and as the church grows, I know, I know for us, whenever we got to Portales, we, there were about 22 people, average age around 70. They had been serving the Lord longer than I had been alive, and now I'm the guy trying to tell everybody what to do. It was a little intimidating. But I uh, got there, and, and, uh, and the church started growing slowly. About five years into it, it, it just took off. And then we saw, we saw a rapid growth of uh, young families, people coming in. And, and, uh, and it was really interesting. And as the church began to grow, you're challenged because, because you want to see people raised up and discipled, and you want to see them growing in their maturity of the Lord. And so we went from being this outreach, like just anybody come, and, and always thinking of how can we get some people to come? How can we go into the community and, and, and reach people with the gospel so that they can find out that God loves them and has a design for them and a desire for their life to have purpose? And, and we were really all about that because there wasn't a whole lot else going on. And, and so as the church began to grow, the challenge was then now how do we disciple them, right? You catch the fish. Now you've got to start working with them. What do you do to disciple and train people? And so there was a real focus going that direction and, and trying to figure out how can, we, how can we help these folks to grow and mature and be a part of what's happening. And, and so the pendulum swung from being like outreach to more of, I guess, inreach, if you want to call it that, of what do we do with who we have. And, and we focused a lot on that. And then, and then the pendulum now, where we're at, we're, we're once again swinging back, and we're moving more toward evangelism. In preparation for this, um, I talked to our team there, and I said, guys, going to the Grove, if there was a message preached or something that was really good as a challenge, uh, what, what do you think would be good for the church there to hear that we have heard? And uh, so that's what this message is this morning, what I'm going to share with you. This is going to be, I think, the fourth, third or fourth time that I've, I've given this talk. I've done it twice for our for our main services on Sunday there in Portales and for the college group and then also for the youth. And so uh, this is something to help us to stay on point and help that pendulum, right? You're never perfect. Everything's always moving. It'd be nice if we could just set something in motion and be done with it. Nothing works like that. It doesn't work like that in your life, in your marriage, in your business, in your church. It doesn't work that way. Everything's always in flux. And so it's more of a, it's more of a balancing act. That's what you're striving for. And so there's a little to the right and then a little to the left, and you just try not to fall off one way or the other. You want to stay in the middle. And so this message, the design of this, the idea of this is to help you guys maybe stay in balance, stay in focus. Know why you're doing what you're doing and who, and this is going to be the focus, who's supposed to be here right now? Who should be sitting in the seats right now in this place? What kind of people should be here? What should they be like? Where should they be in their lives? That's what we're going to talk about for the next little bit. Um, And before I get into that, though, I do want to say, uh, Eric and Sincerity, you guys have some great leaders here. I have enjoyed Eric. I tell you what, this guy... He's, he's, a, he's a two years younger than me, which is not a lot. I think he was messed up in his age a while ago when he was saying I was 23 and he was, what? 14? 14. 14. Golly. My son Caleb was the same age as Eric when we first met. Are you kidding me? I just aged right now. I'm barely growing facial hair in this vacation. I'm le- this is one week's worth, and I'm finally going to let it grow. I think Liz might let me, and it's all spotted with gray. Man, what has happened? What has happened? Time has just slipped by. 
But anyway, Eric, Eric has been really good, and, and he's been very helpful to me because he helps me to stay kind of in balance. Uh, my personality, the way I, I'm pretty driven, man. You, you throw something out in front of me, and if I go for it, you can bet all 200 pounds of me is going to be landing right on it. I just go for it, right? And uh, so Eric, has he's pretty balanced, and, and, and this guy, if he reads so much, and he actually remembers what he's reading. And that's awesome for me because it helps me, right? I read it, put it away, pick it up again later, read it. It's like reading it for the first time. It's like, what a good book, which has its good points and it's bad. But anyway, but Eric and Sincerity have been good friends to us, and they've helped us. And I tell you what, I don't think I would be who I am today or where I am today if it wasn't for good friends like this to help me. And so you guys take care of your pastors. You take care of them and encourage them and, and keep cheering them on as they charge the hill. So who should be in the church? Who should be here? There was a lady who came. Uh, we had a VBS last week, and so she came. I hadn't seen her in a while. She used to come on Sundays, and, and she has a young daughter. And, and so we're talking as they're checking in. And, hey, where you been? I've been missing you. You guys need to come. She goes, well, to be honest with you, um, we stopped coming and because just some of the people who are coming here. I'm like, you stopped coming to church because some people are coming here. Well, tell me more. What's what are these people like? And so I know who they are. When she starts talking right away, I get it. There's a Satanist who has been coming. And, uh, and so, of course, we're nice to him. And then, and then it became obvious that he was not there because he wanted to be a part of any of it. He was just taking money from people. And, uh, and, and then he's over taking that money to Hastings and Clovis to buy books on satanic rituals and spell casting against churches. And uh, he didn't know somebody from our church was standing next to him while he's trying to, to, to buy these books. And... Uh, so we know where he is in this, but he also began to pray on a family that had just started coming. Isn't that how it is? Usually God starts working in somebody's life, and the enemy comes in intentionally trying to steal them away. You see, this is a pastor's point of view. I stand here, and I see what's going on. And so, so this guy's doing his work. Well, he's trying, to, he's trying to attach himself to this young family. And uh, in the meantime, the woman I'm talking about who was coming with her daughter... She says it's because of those guys. Because if those kind of people are going to be in this church, I don't want to be exposed to that. And I'm thinking, you got this backwards. They're where they need to be. They're where they need to be. They're in a place where they can hear the truth. They're being fed a lie, but they're in a place where they can hear the truth. And at least they can hopefully make a good decision on how they're going to navigate their lives. And so... Once I began to explain that to her that in that light, I said, you, what you have to understand is, is, is the Satanist, he doesn't come all the time because we have new rules in place. If he's going to come sit in a service and hear the, the word preached, he can. If he's going to stand out front, then he's going to be run off the property. If he's going to stand out and mingle with the people and that's his only goal, he doesn't need to be here. He can go get donuts somewhere else, right? And, and so, so uh, once I began to explain this to her and talk to her about the control, I said, we have people who are intentionally targeting that young family. They know where they live. They know their contact information. And anytime they come through the doors, we are trying to pull them in to help them come along because we want to win this competition for their souls, right? So, so this lady didn't want to be there because the wrong people were in the building. During VBS, there's a man there. I've, I've met him a couple times because as a pastor, um, you go to situations. Recently, there was an attempted suicide. So I went in the middle of the night, and, and they're getting this lady put on the, the gurney to take to the hospital. And this policeman is there. I've known him a little bit here and there, but we talked for a while. 
Well, I see him at DBS, right? He's got all his clothes, just plain clothes on. And he has kids there. And so I went and talked to him. I said, hey, do you guys go to a church? And he's, he says, nah, that church stuff isn't really for me. Well, that's interesting. What do you mean, like, not for you? Why is it not for you? Ah, uh, you know, I just, I don't want to offend you, but I'm like, well, just tell me. Just say it. He says, well, my parents abandoned me pretty much and left me with my grandparents to raise me. My grandfather was a horrible alcoholic. Neither of them liked me, and he would beat me, physically beat me all the time. When he came home in the evenings, you just knew, here comes the beatings. And as soon as he could get out, he was gone. But this is exactly what he told me. He said, I remember as a kid, I'd be praying, God, please help me. Please don't let him hit me again. Help me out of this. He said, God never came through. Finally, I myself... I think he was, I can't remember exactly now, but at 16 or 17, he said, I just took matters in my own hands, and I stood up for myself, and I walked away from there, and I've never gone back. God couldn't do it, but I did. He was also dealing with some bad addictions, and, uh, and alcohol mainly, some drugs, and he said, I asked God to help me. No help again. So I did it myself, and today... Even in the trouble that I did get into, I am, I'm out of that. I escaped it, and, and God didn't help me. I did it myself. I'm a police officer, and now I go help other people to not make the same mistakes. In my opinion, he needs to be a part of the church, and he needs to give thanks because my story, though a little different, is not entirely far off from his experience. But how I see it is the enemy took his best shot to destroy me, to keep the message, the hope, and the, the, the purpose of God out of my life so that nobody, would else, nobody else would ever benefit from God's call and design for me. And he made attempt after attempt after attempt, and he never succeeded. And God was with me, and God did preserve me, and God did lead me out of that to where I am today. So I can't take credit because I'm so good. I can only thank God for that. But see, inside the place, who should be here? And I'm going to be using this table to illustrate. But and, and just so you guys know, let me just get this out in the open already. Some of you guys ate some. I believe the donuts came from Albertsons. Was that it? Albertsons. Yeah. I don't do Albertsons donuts. I will not let my taste buds have anything such as that lay upon them. I only go for the best. These happen to be Krispy Kremes. Yeah? Anybody know the difference? There is a little bit of a difference, huh? Let's keep these covered up in case there should be a fly in the house because I will be tasting these as we go. In preparation for this, I was thinking of that policeman. And I was thinking of his situation he came out of. And wow, what a... What a, what a bad situation but you know what you're alive and you're doing good thank god needs to there was also a guy in genesis 39 we're going to take up we're going to read about joseph who was in a similar situation as this man i think about his experience and i i I tell you i don't think he was as bad off as joseph joseph did everything right he served he was obedient to his father he was liked above all the other brothers by his father I don't believe it was just because he had the right hair color or, or, or the look. I think it's because of who he was. He did it right. He lived the way he was supposed to be living. And he paid a horrible price for that. 
his brothers out of jealousy were going to actually murder him. They didn't because God was behind it. They chunked him in a well. Some slave traders came by, and they thought, wow, not only can we get rid of him, we can make some money. So they sold him. They sold their brother to these slave traders who then hauled him all the way off away from home into Egypt. There in Egypt, he finds himself up on the stage being sold like livestock. And a man, Potiphar, winds up buying him. Well, this is some luck. Thank you, God. Did everything right. And look what it got me. He goes in and begins to work for Potiphar. He does a good job. God blesses Potiphar because of Joseph. Joseph, in spite of all the circumstances, continues to do things right. It's almost like he doesn't know how to do anything but what is right. Potiphar's wife gets the hots for him, and, and he rejects her advances, but then she makes a slanderous accusation against him, saying that he was the one who was trying to get to her. He winds up now going from being a slave in somebody's home to a dungeon. They throw him in prison because of something that he didn't do. He did everything right, and now he's in prison. I mean, it went from bad to worse to how can it get much worse than this? And there he is in prison. We don't know the exact conditions, but we do know that he just kept doing everything right. Next thing you know, the jailer has Joseph running everything because it just, God's blessing the jail because Joseph's doing everything right. As a result of that, long story short, because of God working through Joseph, he gets elevated to the second most powerful position in all of Egypt. And he winds up saving God's people. There was a horrible famine, a drought, and people were going to die. And Joseph, because of his position, was able to help his people to survive. And you and I are worshiping Jesus, who came in the long line of descendants from Joseph. Thank God one man was willing to do things right so that the promise could come. You see, God is the one who designed it for Joseph to be sent to Egypt, if you really get down to it. God took these bad decisions people were making and he used them to bring himself glory and to preserve his people. Now, in your life, I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what circumstances you've had to face. There may have been horrible injustice and and different things that you had to deal with. But listen, listen, you are here right now. You're living in this place in this time. God put you here and he wants you to fulfill a purpose and and he wants you to do something that's going to have kingdom value. It doesn't matter who you are. Well, I'm not even a part of this, Pastor Kelly. I don't know anything about it. Listen, God knows you. God knows your past. And if you will put that in his hands, I'm telling you, he'll make it into something beautiful. And you won't have to live saying, why, God? You'll start saying, thank you, God. In spite of all of that, you kept it going. And you know what? It's going to be a beautiful thing. Because all things are going to work out, right? All things will work out to the benefit, to the good. Of those who love Jesus. So, let's take a look at Joseph. Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph... Well, again, it's awesome, but we'll get to it. Let's go down here at verse 4. Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. 
Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. What a horrible life this poor Potiphar had to live. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine that? The stress. The stress he must have had to endure as he's thinking, man, are we going to eat bean burritos tonight? Or is it going to be mashed potatoes and gravy? Oh, I don't know what to do with myself. I can't take this. The pressure's killing me. Oh, my gosh. I, this is awful. I'm going to have to find somebody who's going to help me with this because this is the kind of stuff that will give you an ulcer. Poor guy. Joseph was just awesome all the time. And Potiphar, his biggest concern was what to eat. I wish I had some of those problems, don't you? I wish that was like the biggest care of my day. Oh, no, Liz, what are we going to do for dinner? (laughs) You see, when you do things right, good things happen, not just for you, but for others around you. Why does it matter? Why does it matter that there are godly men and women who live in this place, in this time, who fellowship together in a body together? What does that matter? Why is it important? Because there are other people outside this building who need, they need God's favor and they need him and his blessing. You see, Potiphar, we don't know what his living lifestyle was like. We don't know how righteous or unrighteous a man he was. But the blessing on his home rested more on Joseph than it did Potiphar. You come in here week after week. You continue to fight this battle to to serve the Lord. You you continue to put down temptation. You begin to put down doubt. You begin and you you continue this battle to put away all the things that detract you from a life in Christ. And sometimes you just get tired. And sometimes you say, "Man, this is is it worth it? Is it worth it?" You might find yourself like Asaph who wrote Psalm 72. God, it's not fair. Everybody else is is benefiting. Everybody else is getting blessed, and they could care less about you. They even scoff at you, and they have everything they need. And all I get is sorrow and difficulty all the time. See, God's not afraid of your honesty. He wasn't afraid of Asaph's honesty. But later on, Asaph says, but when I went in and I got in your presence, that's when I got things in proper perspective. I got back on track, back on balance. I realized this life is short. It goes by quick. Before you know it, it's done. And one of these days, we will stand before you, God, and we're going to answer for how we've lived. So what does it matter if you have everything and yet you you lose your soul? It doesn't matter. What really matters is, God, did I have you? And that was Asaph. That's what he came to. How'd that happen? Because he was meeting with God. Why is it so important for you to come and fellowship with others and meet with God? It matters more than you think. And you need to continue in that. Do you complain a lot? Do you complain, whine, moan, and groan? I look, at, I look at Joseph here in this story, and I don't think he'd have gotten as far as he did had he been that kind of person. And I'm talking about just your job. I'm not talking about your church. But I work with a staff, and, and one of the things that I have learned is I listen 
I listen to what's being said, not because of some pat answer being delivered to me to tell me what I want to hear or, or expect, but I listen to everything else around. And I listen. If I find somebody who is complaining, who is moaning and groaning, I can almost assure you two things are going to happen. They won't last long, and they're going to infect some other people, and it's going to make them sick. If you want to live a life like Joseph, don't complain. Don't moan and groan. If anybody had a right to, it was Joseph. If anybody could have and really probably made you feel, he, he could have written a good country song with his life. Right? And it would, have been a, it would have been a hit, man. But one thing I see about him is he was willing to serve on somebody else's behalf. He was willing to help somebody else succeed. So I ask these questions. Let me, just, let me just run through this. How committed are you to building someone else's palace besides yours? Because we're going to be talking about maturity in a minute. And these are some leading questions. When is the last time you worked on someone's behalf to help their life do better? What does it truly mean to build the house of God? And what could you do to be more active in building God's house? So I look at Joseph, he's a great example of what we should be when we fellowship together as the body of Christ. It shouldn't be about us. And there is a time early in your walk with Jesus that, man, it's all about you. It's what you can learn. It's what you got, what you can get. That's what you talk about. That's everything. And it's exciting, especially, you know, for someone like me who is called into vocational ministry, right? We're all ministers, every one of us. But I was called specifically to be a vocational pastor, right? That's my vocation. And I tell you, man, I was so excited early on. But it, I tell you, after a few years of it, I realized it matters less what, what I get. It matters more what I can give to others. It matters less about how I'm developing as it does about how I'm helping others to develop. And the more I do this, the more I get that. It's not that I can be lazy and slack. It's just it's more important what I invest in others and what they can become. I have young ministers who are in their early 20s right now who are going to go further and farther than I ever could have in my life. And I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that by the time they get where I was when I met Eric, when I started this journey, that they're miles ahead of where I was at that time, right? I will, I will have more success in ministry if I can get them to do that than if I go and focus all the energy on me and my growth. Because fact is, I'm getting older, and time is going to race by, and my race will have been run. A big, a big I think, show of maturity in a Christian where you really see it tipping in their direction, when it comes to saying that is somebody who's really grown up in the Lord, is when their eyes get off of them and it starts going on others. Right? So let's talk about this. Let's talk about the church. If you said in the back, back in the day when the early church started, if you said you're going to go to church, like, hey, let's go to church, they would have looked at you and said, what are you talking about? You're weird. You are the church. The ecclesia, that's the Greek word for assembly. And this talks about a local congregation of believers. The church was people. So this is something that I proposed to you this morning. We should not be busy going to church. Instead, we should be busy being the church, right? If you're taking notes, that's one to write home about. Take with you. And every time you get up and ready to go to church, you say, hey, I'm not going to go to church. 
I'm going to go be the church. I'm going to go with my eyes wide open looking for something that I can help, something I can, something I can do. It's the whole idea of eating together. Jesus says in John 6, I'm the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, but will live forever. Jesus is, is saying that he's the bread. Hmm. He's the real source of life. That's a major claim. Some people say Jesus never did claim to be God. That, that he, he never did claim that he was the Messiah. That's hogwash. Don't listen to that. That's just a popular little notion that goes around in, in secular, uh, uh, secular environments. Jesus boldly proclaimed that he was the Messiah. Jesus didn't leave any bases uncovered when it comes to, to his claim to be God. I mean, how much more plain can he say it? You want to see the Father? You're looking at him. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And come on, it's right there in front of you. So Jesus claims that he's the bread of heaven, and that if anybody eats of him, will live forever. Jesus goes on to talk about him being, he says this, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So this table, as we're talking about the bread of heaven, I think represents three people, three kinds of people who come to church, who should be inside the building here right now. So let's get to it, okay? And I'm going to get into these Krispy Kreme donuts just real soon. Wait for me, children. Okay. And if anybody else wants some of these, no. These have my name on it. The first chair I want to talk about, the chair that should be used inside this place, there should be some people here who don't know Jesus and don't know much about him. There should be some people, and you might be here right now, and you're like, that dude, that is me. You may not even be sitting in the seat, really. You're here, but you're not sitting down. You're like, kind of like just checking the place out. And you're like, man, I'm nervous about this. But a friend invites you, and so you're like, all right, I'll come in. And, and you're just kind of sitting there, but it's like, just watch from a distance. These people are crazy. They're raising their hands and, and doing all this weird stuff, and, and they're singing. Some of them don't even sing that good if you're next to me. And then somebody says, oh, man, come taste. Jesus is the bread of heaven, and he's good. Come check it out. But you're just like, let me just watch for a little bit. Let me just listen for a little bit. You know, before you buy a house, there's a big old stack of paper. If you bought a house, you'll get this. Before you buy the house, all of a sudden, as you get to that point where they say, it's done, it's yours if you want it, all of a sudden, this, this real seriousness comes over, and you're like, Ooh. This is huge debt we're going in. And I mean, you really, it's like, oh, you don't even sleep good that night because you're like, oh, I don't like that. I hate the debt. I want the house, but oh, the debt. And you really, it's like, oh, heavy. And then you read the paperwork. In my case, I'm not the sharpest dude. I got all this. I don't understand what's going on. I'm like looking at it. I'm like, what does this mean? Well, that means this and that. Are you lying to me? I'm serious. The first house we bought, I told the lady. She was a friend of ours. And I said, I said, are you being honest with me? Are you? I mean, I feel like I'm just being taken advantage of here. Are you taking advantage of me? I'm asking her. Poor thing. Poor thing. After that was done, she said, I will never help another person like I helped you guys. That was the last time I'll ever put up with that. But I was nervous. We're going over $100-some-thousand in debt. I don't care who you are. I don't care, I don't care how close a friend you are. If I don't get it, I want to know as much as possible. You know? What's going on here? What am I signing? You taking advantage of me? 
We'll do that with a house for a hundred some thousand dollars. But then when it comes to our eternal soul, sometimes we're all flipping about it. You know, make the decision now. You got to turn a burn, baby, right now. And I think it's okay for somebody to sit in the chair and observe for a while. Think about it. Think about what you're doing. You're fixing to invest your whole entire eternity. You're trusting. You're trusting that if you say yes to Jesus, that he is going to preserve you and lead you to paradise for all eternity. That's a huge decision. And there should be people like this. And you know what? If you're here like that, I applaud you. And I think it's awesome, man. Keep checking it out. And, and, and I'm telling you, the donuts are good. Trust me. Jesus is better than a Krispy Kreme. But you're never going to know that. I can describe a Krispy Kreme all day long. But if you've never tasted it, you're not going to know, right? It's good. It's sweet. It's got this like wax covering that is straight from heaven. Angels produce this. I can say that all day long and your mouth is going to be watering like some of yours is right now. It's like, mmm. And, and, but you know what? You've got to taste it. And then that's the next chair, right? Yeah, this chair where people are just kind of checking it out. They're new. Don't know what. What is this about? And then the next chair represents somebody who has tasted and they've seen that the Lord is good. There should be some people here in this chair. And it's like, mmm. Words cannot describe the pleasure that is going over my tongue right now. Let's just call this quits. Amen. We're done. I'm going to eat. Mmm. That's good. Anybody here at a Christmas cream? Mm-hmm. Some of you are in here. Things might get a little messy. Can you still hear me if I do that? Can you hear? That's a good microphone you have, Eric. I'm going to have to get me one of these like that. The bib is on and it's time to eat. But you know, new Christians, people who say yes to Jesus, they come in carrying a lot of baggage. There should be some folks like this here right now. You come in, right? You're still like, you're still like, you're so new to Jesus. And yes, he is good. Mm, mm. I will never go back. That is good. You can't deny it. You can act like you never had one. Once you've been there, you can't go back. It's good. Mm. Where was I at? But they come in carrying some junk with them, don't they? Sometimes it's like, man, you know what? I, 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 I realize now as I read my Bible, as I'm getting closer to Jesus, as I've said yes to give my life to him, that, that I'm doing some stuff that, that's not so good. Sometimes they'll even go to their pastor and say, Pastor, I'm living with my, my girlfriend, right? A guy will come in. I'm living with my girlfriend, and I know that God wants him to be saved. I had that conversation with the dude. I baptized him. I was so excited. He came to Jesus, and he was saved. It was a wonderful day. As he's still wet, sitting on the front row, looking at his baptism certificate, he says, Pastor, I, I think that me and my girlfriend should probably get married now. I'm like, you, you know, that'd be a good idea. Why don't we work on that? So we worked on that. And they both realized we have been living in sin. We can't continue that. We got we to get this right. right. They had kids together and everything. So we got them married. And then we dedicated their children to the Lord. It's wonderful to see God working in their life, but sometimes it's a bit messy, huh? It's a little bit messy. I messed up, man. I messed up. That, that old life of, of years and years of feeding pornography into my mind has come back to haunt me. And, and sometimes, sometimes people in this chair, they get a little messy. Ooh. I'm not going to make a huge mess because I'm going to move this. Way. They're playing at the end? Maybe. You just don't want me to sling food everywhere. See, if I had pizza right now, that's when it really gets good. 
People in this stage, sometimes they handle the, the things of God a little bit flippantly, and they just, ah, that was so good, and ah, just crumbs falling, and mm, I love Jesus, and they really do, but they're just messy. And sometimes they don't get it all right. Sometimes they don't have the level of respect that they should for God and the things of God. But, man, are they where they need to be? Mm, mm, yeah, you know it, because Jesus is good. And they're taking this in. Pastor, I didn't know this, but now I do. My goodness, the Bible says not to steal. I can no longer steal stuff from my employer and hide it and take little bits here and there. I had that conversation with a guy. Inside, I'm saying, praise the Lord. The Lord's cleaning him up. And that, that is and should describe some people here. You want to have people like that. Don't freak out. Ooh, they came with a Satanist. Mm, but they're finding out that Jesus is good. He's way better than that stupid devil worship stuff. Mm, mm, mm. I like hanging out with God's people because you know what? They're not always out to take advantage of me like the devil worshiper dude is. Right? It's a little bit messy. Anybody here have children? This would describe that early stage. Anybody ever change a diaper? It's messy. Won't go into great detail. We have five children together. And I believe me, I've seen some messy diapers. Right? The ones that go all the way up to the back of their head. If you're a parent, you get that. Right? And sometimes that happens inside the church. So do we kick them out? Or do you take your child and say, good heavens, you have covered everything, the whole car seat. We're, oh, my goodness. You're out, child. Out of the family. What do you do? You take that thing out. You hose it down. I'm talking about the child. <laughs> But you clean them up and you work with them and you look forward to the day whenever they're potty trained. And then that moves us to the next seat, right? And there's some people in here who you might fit that description. It's cool, man. And, and there's going to be people who are patient with you and they're going to put up with you. And they're going to help you change some diapers if necessary. And, and they're going to help you mature because then it goes to the next, to this chair. And this is what would be called the people who are mature, right? Who are grown up. But, but there's going to be another person beyond this because this is where people, people have been in church for a long time. They may be out of their diapers, but they're still got the bib on, right? These are the people who sit in the church and they say things like, man, I just don't feel like I'm being fed here, right? They still rely on somebody like here, spoon feeding, Pastor Eric. Mm, feed me, Pastor Eric. Right? Mm. And then Pastor Eric has got to wipe their face. Is that good? Yeah, that's good. Thank you. But these people can be here a long, 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 long time. And a lot of people don't ever get up out of this seat, man. They don't ever grow up beyond that. They'll say, I'm mature. Why is that, bro? Well, because I lead a ministry. People like this sit here, they can lead ministries. They can, they can lead something. They can, they can know their Bibles extremely well. They can know a lot, a lot of Scripture. And they can know how the church runs. In this seat, usually they learn how things come and go. They're good at watching and, and some people who are in these seats look at them as being really mature. But you have to question, are they? Are they? Right? Man, I just feel the church has grown so much. I'm, I'm kinda, I don't like it so much because I don't know everybody now. I want to go to a church where I know everybody. A man and a wife, one of the only couples who ever left our church in Portales, that's the exact thing they said. We want to go to a church where we know everybody. We can't go to this church anymore like that. You know what I said? 
I love you guys, and you're awesome. Thank you. The oldest members of the church, thank you for all your years of service, and thank you for being with us. If I can ever help you, please let me know. Sayonara, baby. And they left. That was a, that was a, that was a show of somebody who sat in this chair and never got out. Because if you're really mature, you won't say things like that. You see, yeah, you're going to heaven, but don't you care that others go there too? I want to go to a church where I know everybody. So what did they expect me to do as pastor? Folks, we're going to have to whittle this down to 36 people. So whoever doesn't make the cut, see ya. Hope you make heaven. I'm not going to do that. I can't minister to you there. And that's it. So the people like that sit in this chair, sometimes they can, they can say some crazy things. They can do some crazy things. And, some, and it kind of gets to where they, they get to be real heavy and dead weight. And what it's a picture of is somebody who, who doesn't get out of diapers, really, I say. You know, when a baby goes in their diaper for the, for the first time, what do you do? <gasps> oh, goody, 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 goody. It's so precious. When they're 16... Going into diaper, that's where we say something's wrong. There is something wrong here. The same thing happens in the church, right? So when you see that, and, and usually it's the bib thing, me. It's about me. What do they have for me? Whenever, whenever I, they're looking for a church, they go in there saying, what do you guys have for me? Again, a family came, and I was so excited. This was back when we didn't have hardly anybody coming, right? And this family comes in. They had a bunch of kids. And I'm like so excited. And the guy comes in. He says, yeah, we just come down and check you guys out and see what you have for us. And I, right away, I was like, ooh. So what do you have for us? We didn't have anything then. We didn't have children's ministry. We didn't have youth ministry. We didn't have, we didn't have anything. I'm like, we have church. And I went, got some coffee. And they didn't come back. I probably should have been nicer, but... I don't know, man. Sometimes we need to take the bib off. And this is the fourth person. The Bible says that we're to serve the Lord. Right? The Bible talks about waiting on the Lord. In, in Psalm 62, 1, it says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. And, and have you ever gone to a restaurant and been waited on? What does the waiter do? Does the waiter show up and say, So, Senor, what do you got for me? Do they? No way. It doesn't work that way, huh? I did that little Spanish bit for you to show that I do know some Spanish. The waiter comes in, or waitress, and they have the towel, not here, but here on their arm. They say, how can I serve you? Now, listen, there should be some folks inside this. All these, right? New people coming in saying, what are you people doing here? Some people coming in saying, ooh, Jesus, he's awesome, he's good. And then some people over here who are learning that, well, i got to grow up. i gotta, I got to stop wearing these diapers, right? When you start shaving, you should not be wearing diapers unless you have something wrong. And that's okay if you do, but I'm just saying. You know what I'm saying? You start growing up, and you've got to get out of this seat. You've got to get up, and you've got to take the, take the bib off, put it on your arm, and say, Now, Lord, how can I serve you? Have you ever been in a restaurant where the waitress, you know, you need some more tea, right? You've had too much chili or who knows what, and you're just thirsty, and you're like, mm-mm, smacking your lips, and you need something liquid fast, and you're trying to get her attention, and they just walk by. And you're like, Ugh. You're like me, shy enough to where I don't just yell out, but it's like, Ugh. and you wait. 
Have you ever been that? Yeah. And then they're just walking around. A good, a good waitress is always eyes up looking. Yeah, what can I get for you? That's what you and I do. Jesus says that his people who know him are going to be looking for his return, right? Eyes up, looking for him, waiting on him, saying, Lord, what can I do? What can I do to serve? What, waiting, we get this idea, oh, no, we just got to hang out. And then there's a verse that says, be still and know that I'm God. Some people are like, they take that too literal. It's like, if the Lord wants to do something in me, he can. I've been waiting on the Lord. It's been 22 years now. Life in Christ is a life of action, of looking for ways to serve, looking for something to do. Saying, hey, how can I help carrying all these heavy boxes or to help set up? Or how can, I, how can I help to maybe promote the church and the community? I just want to do something. I just want to do something. What can I do to help? There should be those people coming in and growing up and becoming that inside this, right? Growth tracks. You guys do growth tracks. Hey, I want to be a part of the growth tracks because that's going to show me how this operates. And if we're going to operate together, I better learn how it functions. And so you come in, you plug in, and you learn what it is and how, it, how, it's, how it's working, how you do it together. There should be those people interested, learning, growing, serving the Lord, right? What about a husband who's going to get married? Does he just ask the girl, marry me, baby, and be done? Yeah. Emily's like, yes, please, any man. <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> no, a good man. What you, okay, listen. Listen, Emily. Listen. This is what you got to look for in a man. Right? You want a guy who's going to ask you. Yeah, but listen. This guy had better not be sitting on his hiney all the time. He better be up serving and working, preparing a home for his bride. He better be about establishing a good future, working hard, thinking about how it's going to line up. And he better be pursuing that stuff. Otherwise, it's not worth you taking on as a husband. Right? That man better wait. And you know what? Jesus says, I'm going away, folks. He tells his followers, I'm going away. But in my father's house are many mansions, and I'm going to go prepare a place. I'm t- he had these guys in mind. I'm going to go, and I'm going to work. I'm going to get things ready and set up for you because you are important to me, the bride of Christ, the church. And listen, you and I, as we serve and minister to the Lord, we need to have the towel off of here and onto here. Strive for that. Grow to that. Be that. Don't let this time go by and miss the opportunity to have served the Lord and loved others and been a part of building the kingdom of God. And we're going to close right now. Am I on time? You look all relaxed, Eric. What chair are you sitting in? What chair are you sitting in right now? Where are you at in this? What are you doing that puts you in that chair? Sometimes we think we're in a chair, but do you know why you're in the chair? Do you know what puts you here? Do you know what puts you here? What actions could you resolve to do? And I'm talking what actions can you take that will move you to the next chair? What can you do? Think about this. What can you do to get you to the next chair? I hope some of you have questions about that, and I hope you really think hard about that. I hope it requires that you meet with Pastor Eric to say, I need some help here because I do want to grow. I do want to expand. Part of that is going to require you at the Grove here to know, agree, and set yourself on being what God's calling you to be together. 
You need to know the vision of the grove. Agree to help with the methods used to promote the church. Growth tracks, home groups. You guys have groups meeting, right? Team ministry opportunities, ways to plug in. Be what you agree and know. Practice what you know you should be doing. Put into practice. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. We're going to close with this. Jesus speaking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him. Now, this message has been used for a personal invitation, right? For a personal invitation of Jesus to come into a person's life. And I think it works. It's okay. But if you read it in its context, this is something Jesus is saying to the church, to the body of Christ. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come to him. Don't be the kind of person who goes to church a whole life and never responds to the Lord's call to die to themselves, to die to Christ so that he can help you to live. Some people sit in this chair. That's who I'm describing, right? Bibs on. They know all the answers. They know, man, they could do an altar call better than I could. But they've never allowed that work to take place in their lives. It happens. And this is my encouragement to you. Don't be that person. Heed the call. Heed the call to die. Because Jesus says, and we go on to see here, not only is he going to come in if the door is open, he's going to eat with them and he with me. In every story that we see of Jesus after the resurrection, think about this, this is really cool. After the resurrection, every time you see Jesus, he's eating. He's eating with these guys. I mean, one time he's cooking breakfast and they, they rush to the shore and they all eat breakfast together that Jesus cooked. He's eating. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm talking about communion with the Lord. You guys take Holy Communion together on occasion? When you do, that's a meal with the Lord. It's a reminder that, hey, you know what? In spite of my brokenness, in spite of my sin, God has given us the greatest treasure, the greatest gift, his son Jesus. And he's with me. And his forgiveness, his washing me clean is good for all time. And we meet together in that, in that meal that fellowship together. Then he goes on to talk here. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Why should this person say yes to Jesus? Why should it matter? Listen, here's just a simple glimpse. Because the God of creation, the God of the universe who made it all, is giving an invitation saying, if you will die to yourself, I will make all of heaven available to you. You invite me in, I will come in, and I'll make all of heaven available to you. That's incredible. That's an awesome, awesome promise and experience and a way to live life. I love that. And then, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. It's one thing to have Jesus as a model or a mascot. This church that was written to in Laodicea, that's what they were doing. They were just a good church. They were trying to be good people. Trying to be good Christians. But here's the thing. Jesus is not to be a model or a mascot. He's to be our master. 
That's what he was saying to this church 2,000 years ago. And the message is still the same to us today. Jesus is not wanting to just be our buddy. He wants to be our Lord and our master. That's his call to the church, to you and me. So I say this in closing to the grove. May the grove of Santa Fe not be a place that is popular, full of people who have had good, good mottos and good intentions. May, be, may it be a place where we realize that although we're sinners who have failed miserably, God has provided Jesus Christ and will come into our hearts to rule and reign within if we simply open the door. Fight to keep balance here. Do all you can to make sure that you have all these chairs filled. Don't freak out as people are going through it. But don't stop and settle when people are in this third chair. Press for maturity. Hunger for it. Fight for it. And all of this, all of this, doesn't matter one bit if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So if you bow your heads and close your eyes in this morning. I pray, I really do, that there's some people in that first chair right now. I know some of you, I know a lot of you, but I don't know everybody. And I pray that there are some people who are, who are in these seats. They would say, I, I want to know Jesus. I, I've got to get on with this. I don't want my life to pass by and, and to have missed out on the greatest opportunity. I'm ready to surrender my life. There might be some of you here who have been coming for a long time. But you have never, you've never heeded the Lord's call to really lay your life down, to die to yourself. And you say, man, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready for that kind of life. I want to pray for you this morning. And if that's you, and you'd say, God, I'm not going to be guilty of living a flatline life. I will follow you. I will live for you. If that's you, you say, I'm going to live for you, Jesus. Raise your hand this morning. Raise your hand and let me see. Because God wants to do something incredible. Don't miss the opportunity. If I were sitting in chair number one and I was like, wow, this is all new to me. And what do you even say? How do you even, how do you invite Jesus to be the boss of your life? This is exactly what I would say if I were sitting in your seat. And you can pray this prayer. You can whisper it. You can say it. You can take it home and pray it tonight in bed. But if I were sitting in your place, this is exactly what I would say. And you can pray this with me. Jesus, I know that you died for me. You paid the price for my sin. And I don't know how it all works. But I do know that you've invited me. So I say yes. Be the boss of my life. Let it be okay when I stand before God. One of these days, I'm going to have to answer for how I lived. Let it be okay. And I'm going to do my best to follow you. I'm going to do my best to let you be boss of my life and in the decisions that I make and how I live. I'm going to prove to you that you are in my life. Because I'm going to connect with the body of Christ, with other men and women who know you. And I'm going to do my best, Lord, to go from each of these chairs all the way through 
to get a towel on my arm and serve. Lord, be with me. Be with me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you folks, and thank you for the opportunity to be able to speak.